0: Hello everyone and welcome to the So Mindful podcast where we dig into the tips and topics that will help you have great fun making clothes that make you feel fabulous. I'm your host Jackie Blakemore of So Much More Fun and I can't wait to share this week's illuminating episode with you so let's roll the tape. Hello everyone and welcome to this week's episode of the So Mindful podcast. This is episode 19 and today my guest is the wonderful Rebecca Weave-Smith. I found Rebecca through Instagram and an IGTV interview with at Socially Tracy. I'll put a link to her um, Instagram as well in the show notes. It was a great interview and considering I think it it went about 50 minutes, something like that. And I was just hooked after the first five and watched it all the way through. Absolutely loved it. And in this day and age where we've got very short attention spans, that's a, a real credit, isn't it? To the to the topic and the conversation. So I was totally drawn in by Rebecca and the passionate and knowledgeable way she talks about the relationship between what we wear and how we feel. And so I knew I had to ask her to be a guest on the podcast and she was super gracious to say yes. And so she's here with me today. So thank you, Rebecca, and a warm
1: welcome. Oh, thank you, Jackie. That's a really lovely introduction. Thank you very much. (laughs) Thank you for contacting me at the Socially Tracy interview was i don't know tracy very well either she discovered me through instagram so first of all i want to say how wonderful it is that we can make all these fabulous connections via social media because you know it gets such bad bad rap a lot of the time but actually we can build up these brilliant networks and communication channels now with social networks so i think that's that's great i'm really really happy to talk to you today Brilliant.
0: So I just wanted to get you to tell our listeners a little bit more because I didn't really know your journey either and I found that really interesting. So can you just tell people a little bit? And there's a lot to it isn't there I know. So so maybe the highlights today and then we'll do a whole separate episode on that because that in Um, itself is a story isn't it?
1: (laughs) I'll attempt to give you a very condensed version of bullet points. Brilliant. So I started working as a Saturday girl in a little fashion boutique in Kensington when I was 14. And before that, I'd grown up in a family and I was born in 1964. So late 60s, early 70s, I'd grown up in a family for whom fashion and dress and style and the way they looked was really, really important. So I was surrounded by these amazing looking people. And there was me as a little girl, just like stunned by all these beautiful visions going on around me. So I started work in, in fashion retail. And I had dreams of becoming a fashion designer, and went to art school like you, like you did in those days. At sixteen, after your own levels, you like went to art school before you went on to proper to do your proper art training. And from there, I went along to, with my portfolio to St Martin's on Charing Cross Road.
0: Yeah,
1: and got very quickly told that I had no talent at all <laughs> to be a fashion designer, and come back at some point in the future when I knew how to draw. I mean, it was literally, I was floored by this. So I went back to my little suburban art school and uh, in tears and said, that's it. You know, I'm just useless. I'm, I have no skills at all in this area. So there and then I I didn't do my A-levels. I walked out, walked out of, of school. Yeah. And, you know, built a career up in retail, basically. I was lucky enough that I was able to work all over the world. And I worked with really interesting fashion retailers, both in the UK, Europe and in the States. And then at 26, I came back to England and I got married and I I had, I had, got pregnant really, really quickly. I was working for an English retail menswear company, got pregnant really, really quickly and when I had my kids I started just making clothes for them again I'd always make things for myself and ended up having a small label that I was selling in in those days it wasn't Spitterfields like it is now it was kind of there was a bit of vintage market in Brick Lane Mm -hmm. so I had stalls there and I had a stall in Portobello and I started selling my stuff to independent boutiques. When my children were, when my oldest daughter was about to go to secondary school, I kind of thought, well, I really should probably have a degree if I want my girls to realise the importance of a university education. So they were at school and I went back and did a a part-time fashion BA. Okay. How old were you then? In fashion and textiles. I was coming up to 40, I think. Okay. Yeah, not quite 40, late 30s, almost 40 and completed that and then straight away went into to do a master's in creative entrepreneurship and whilst I was doing this I still had my labels going yeah so although uh, I was training to be a fashion designer I was actually also working as a designer. you're already doing it, I already doing it. Um, and I, I had different job placements where I was I, I did bits and pieces of writing and fashion journalism and I worked for WGSN doing trend forecasting okay yeah And I kind of didn't really ever see myself, and I still don't. I've never seen myself as a designer. I design and make things, and I have always designed and made things. I've always used predominantly recycling as a a tool, if you like, mainly because back in the early 90s, I I just couldn't afford to buy beautiful fabrics. Mm -hmm. So I would always try and source what we call dead stock in the trade. So, you know existing roles and end of lines and I would always remake second-hand clothes into different styles. Yeah, because so you get some
0: great fabrics, can't you, from,
1: you know, from garments that are already made up. So that's always been my, the way I, I have designed and made things. I've done lots of, you know, what we now call sustainable fashion has just been the way I have always worked as someone who's made clothes. Yeah. So, yeah, that was kind of the main part of my fashion story. But then when I suppose it was in my mid to late 40s, I retrained as a psychodynamic counsellor. And I, at the time, my marriage was breaking up. I had a couple of jobs on the go. I was working in a chocolate shop. I was working as a boutique buyer and I was teaching Zumba. <laughs> and training to be a counsellor. Just throw and that I, in the mix. <laughs> yeah, and I did that for a bit and then... I kind of remarried and I was a little bit more secure and a bit more comfortable. And my husband encouraged me to go back to university again and do what I really wanted to do. Which was a master's in positive psychology. Wow. So yeah, and that I did that in 2016, 2017.
0: Yeah, which kind of leads us nicely into what we were going to talk about today, actually. Because I, there's loads of things that I, you know, I want to talk about with you, but I'm trying to be focused. So today's <laughs> topic, and one of the things that really struck me was when I read the publication that you'd put out from your research during, I think, just after that time, wasn't it around 2018? Yeah. yeah. And so the title of the paper is Flourishing Fashion, an interpretive Phen- <laughs> phenomenological. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> of the experience of wearing a happy outfit, which you did in conjunction with Julia Yates. And yeah, even just the first, even in just the abstract, I was, you know, I just thought that was amazing. What an amazing piece of research to do. So, can you tell our listeners a little bit about when you published that, what prompted you to begin that, t- that topic of research?
1: So I'd applied to do a positive psychology masters at University of East London and the first day there it was quite a small cohort and positive psychology is still quite a new topic anyway there aren't that many of us there aren't that many positive psychologists out there and the first day there's a group of us I think it was about 12 of us in the cohort and we were asked to stand up and talk about what we wanted to research for our dissertation. Now I hadn't given this a thought. That morning, all I'd really thought about was what I was going to wear that day to go, you know, to look like a positive psychologist or, or <laughs> to look like someone who was clever enough to be doing a science master's. Because yeah. up until that point, I'd only ever done arts degrees. Right. I was feeling, you know, I had this huge imposter syndrome stuff going on. that I don't know why they've taken me onto this course, because I'm really not clever enough to do this. Right. So I, all I was thinking about was what I was wearing. So people are going and they're telling these fabulous topics about, you know, mindfulness with children and, and the power of the smile and all of this stuff. And I was like, oh God, what am I gonna do? <laughs> so I stood up and, you know, I only really think all I know about is fashion and fashion makes me personally happy. Mm. So that's what my, I was like, yeah, okay. So chuck it out there. I'm going to research the links between what we wear and our our positive effects our positive emotions. Now the department weren't overly keen on this because as we know fashion is seen by and large as quite a flippant and surface topic.
0: I was going to ask you about that because we spoke didn't we in our kind of pre-interview conversations and my views I guess have been tainted in the same way about that and you were kind of explaining a bit more your perception of that and why it's not you know why it's not seen in such a way Mm. yeah yeah share a bit more about that.
1: So you know there's a quite a large body of academic fashion research by and large that's historical Mm. So, or it looks at particular ways that garments have been used perhaps sociologically. There's very little psychological research in fashion. So there's very little out there about how clothes make us feel, Mm. let alone how clothes make us feel from a positive position. Mm. Because of course, pre-positive psychology, psychology mainstream very much looks at mental illness, if you like. Yes, yeah, true. Mental ill health. in positive psychology, what we're looking at is the opposite side of that. We're looking at mental wealth, if you like, rather than mental ill health. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So all of this stuff was very, very new. And and to be fair, yes, my department weren't that keen on, on me pursuing this as a research topic, but I was quite pushy about it. And luckily, so Julia Yates was actually from a different department at, at university of East London, but she agreed to, support me with this uh, um, came on board as my advisor and she had she had previously done research into um, shoes and how shoes uh, how we choose what we wear or what it says about us what we wear on our feet yeah IPA is what we call qualitative research rather than quantitative research so I only had a very small group of people that I probably spent A few days with each person, actually talking to them about how their clothes made them feel. And I got quite involved myself with the research because I was actually aware much more of my own personal feelings around my clothes as I was talking to my research cohort about this. I was very pleased with the the piece of research. It threw up some really interesting ideas. We ended up with a kind of triangular shaped theory. Mm. which supports the fact that we wear clothing to make ourselves ourselves personally feel good. So the intrapersonal relationship, the way we wear clothes also affects the way we are in relationship with other people. So that's an extra, extra personal relationship. And also this idea that we use clothing as a way to regulate our moods. So if we're feeling down, a piece of clothing will lift that. Mm. Or if we're going through a difficult time, it can be that our clothes have quite a strong impact on how we come out of that, and the idea of resilience and overcoming adversity.
0: Yeah, yeah, and I think definitely on the extra personal side, one of the things that I did recently was to have a a link between your kind of like Myers Briggs types personality yeah, yeah. and how you dress, and one of the things that that brought out for me was which I hadn't realized consciously but definitely once it was pointed out it definitely there was evidence for it was that I prefer to use what I'm wearing to as a connection to other people so I'll tend to dress in a way that allows me to connect with the people that I'm going to be in the same room and so I think that's that's great that that's part of that triangle definitely resonates with me but the one I was really interested in today is the mood part that was kind of like one of the aspects because that does fascinate me I just think And I think it's so powerful when you're aware of it, that you can use that to your advantage as well. You know, you can you, you can consciously, I think unconsciously we are making these choices anyway, but when you are doing it actively as well, that can have a real yeah. impact. And I was interested in the interview that you did with Tracy around some of the ways that you say we kind of use that in a good way and some of the ways it kind of works against us, doesn't it, if we're not conscious about it and if we're perhaps not using that in that way. So do you think we, we're already unconsciously picking our clothes to reflect our mood, almost to kind of show people with a kind of hidden message to other people as to how we're feeling?
1: Almost like an indicator. Yeah. Now, I think sometimes we do. I think definitely there are people who unconsciously do try to signal and symbolise their feelings in a way that they can't perhaps articulate using words by how they dress. And I don't know if I'm taking quite an extreme sense of this. If you look at people who suffer from anorexia and have got an eating disorder, they will often wear very, very baggy enveloping clothes and they will hide underneath them. And I have done quite a bit of research and quite a lot of work at eating disorder units with with very young teenage girls, and as they are getting better, you start to see them discarding these clothes because mm. they have a different way of saying how they're feeling. They don't need. We think that they're hiding themselves in these clothes, but af, often what they're actually trying to do is express how unsafe they feel. Okay. So obviously, that's a very extreme way of looking at it. But there's also a really interesting piece of research by a researcher called Karen Pine. And she took quite a large group of women for this kind of research. I think it was around about 200 women of, of, of across the ages, from about 80 to about 60. And in the research that she did, she, she came up with the idea that actually when we're feeling quite sad and, and blue and not great about life, we tend to wear baggy jeans. We tend to put on our old baggy jeans and our sloppy old sweatshirts and our sloppy sweaters. And again, you know, perhaps it's a, a way of hiding and feeling a little bit invisible, but it could also be that we are trying to show the outside world that actually we're not feeling great
0: mm.
1: and that we're not in that mental place where we want to we want to expose ourselves and and, and feel ready to kind of shine again. Mm. So yeah, I think a lot of us do unconsciously use these things without without realizing. But of course, then, if you add some intentionality into this, And if perhaps you notice that you've been wearing your comfort clothes, but you've gone beyond the need of feeling comfortable and actually you're slipping into that depressed state, Mm. can you flick that switch by saying, "Okay, I might not feel great today, but what if I put on a different dress? And what if I put on some lipstick? And what if, even if I'm only at home what if I just make that effort for myself yeah and by and large I do find that, that this does actually make our brains work differently and yeah. that serotonin starts to pump and we start to feel better yeah now, this is not something that I've got empirical research on this is very much anecdotal and from talking to people and from the various Facebook groups and Instagram conversations that I've had
0: yeah but there is a yeah. quote even in the research isn't there where one of the ladies' responses is about using a different pair of shoes to take mm-hmm. control you know this was kind of like she'd had yeah. a couple of down days but she knew she needed to be in a different place mentally and so she wore a particular pair of shoes in this case or outfit or whatever it yeah. is to to kind of give her that courage or that different persona or that you know that mm-hmm. little kick that she needed to
1: to to move forward. And if you think about the fact that Let's say for instance, sport a sports a sports person, they will have perhaps something that they consider like a lucky pair of trainers or or a lucky, lucky socks. <laughs> sweatshirt or something, like a talisman almost. Yeah. and um, we, we have similar things like that in our own wardrobes. And for a long time, after I published my research, when I was really trying to build up my career as, as a kind of positive fashion expert, if you like. Whenever I was at conferences or whenever I was giving keynotes, I always wore a particular pair of silver shoes. And my business card had the picture of these silver shoes on it. Yeah. And you know, everyone would know me, everyone would be like, oh, who who's the speaker? Oh, it's Rebecca over there in silver shoes. And that built up this kind of these silver shoes became something that when I put them on, I was Rebecca Weef Smith wearing wellbeing expert. <laughs> you could step into that persona
0: from yeah. 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 that
1: role. Yeah, um, And so I think that those having those objects in our life really does help us. Although one thing I do always say to people is that we do have to be careful as well because our moods and our emotions do change so much. Something that might have worked for us in the past might not necessarily work for us today. Right. Because we all change. We're, we're not the same people and, you know, we've been different experiences have come along. And so my, my silver shoes... I, I don't know if it's I don't need them anymore, or they just don't do that for me, but they no longer have that role in my life, although they're still important to me. Yeah. So, yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. And your life's changed as well, hasn't it since then? Yeah. Kind of what you're doing has changed as well to go with that. So yeah, so I was interested because we're, we're, you know, in a weird situation at the moment where maybe a lot more of us are spending time at home. And it's, as you mentioned earlier, it's quite easy to not have to get dressed up or dressed at all in some cases. <laughs> and whilst that can be nice for a while it doesn't always have the most positive effect it does it longer term on your yeah. maybe your mood and your outlook and so can you speak a bit more about the kind of positive and negative impact you think on kind of what we're wearing and when we're being less sociable as well because I'm not seeing as many people face to face as I was before or and so therefore I'm not necessarily you know making those those same decisions yeah. about what, what I'm wearing.
1: I think this last coming up for nine months isn't it that mm. we've been in this current situation where we've been very much in our own homes in our own spaces has definitely had an effect on how we dress now one of the things I started in March on my Instagram was setting different challenges to try and encourage people to continue to get dressed at home and I would, I mean I'll do completely complete crazy things you know i I recently, I, I went to the park in a ball gown and did my, I I'm, I do personal training in the park and I did my training with my poor trainer in a velvet and taffeta, huge ball gown. Fantastic, um, oh, I can't wait to see this, that more in the parks coming up. <laughs> you yeah, you know, can it's, start it's the trend. It's a bit silly, but- it's Brilliant though, yeah. It, and it really got, it, it got a lot of attention, obviously it's quite a busy park and it was making people laugh and that's great if I can do that just by wearing something people don't expect yeah I I love that aspect to it I mean even something you know I I quite often I think if you if you've looked at the way children dress during this lockdown something that's been I've really noticed when I go to the park for my daily walks is the amount of little children that look like they've been getting dressed from the dressing up box yeah Perhaps in the past, mummy and daddy would have said, oh, no, you can't go to the park like that. That's not appropriate. But it almost seems like everyone's got a little bit more laid back about these things. And it's like, well, that's what you want to wear. And that's how we should all really be feeling. You no, know, yeah. If we want to go out dressed like a fairy, again, something I have done recently, <laughs> in a tutu and, and net fairy wings, I go to Lidl like that. You know, why not? You know... It, we, we get so hung up on these ideas of what we should and shouldn't do. Yeah,
0: waiting we, for an occasion to wear something rather yeah. than just wearing it. Yeah. We wait
1: for permission. Yeah. When we should be giving ourselves permission yeah. just to have a bit of, mm. just to have fun, really. I don't see myself as an eccentric dresser, but I'm quite happy to play with my clothes. Mm. And I know not everybody wants to do that, and that's absolutely fine. But even something like wearing bright coloured underwear or tights with a bit of a pattern on or, you know, putting on different earrings, it can just lift us so much, even when we're at home, just on our own, cleaning the kitchen, you know. (laughs)
0: Yeah, put your big dangly earrings on to do the washing. Yeah,
1: up. sounds great. I love
0: that idea. Because They're all there. We might as well wear them, mightn't we? You know, yeah, totally. And we were talking about this in the last podcast, I think, with Sylvie. She was saying about, and we're seeing this more and more, I think, in some of the trends where because we haven't got an excuse to wear some of the gorgeous things that people have bought, they're actually mixing and matching them with quite. Mm opposite types of, you know, so yeah. really posh blazers or whatever with a pair of jeans or, you mm. know, things that you perhaps wouldn't have put together before. And I think some of that is this sense that, well, I don't want to wait for an occasion, but I don't want to be totally dressed up. But I want some element of that within, you know, within what I'm wearing. And I think that's great. I think it's challenging all those uh sort of rules and and yeah. ideals, isn't it? Yeah. That that were there before.
1: And I, I think what's also very interesting is the way that's affecting fashion journalism and the way that we're we're seeing fashion being portrayed quite differently through print media and the stories that we're seeing on fashion online websites. Because all of a sudden, these kind of set rules, we're not quite, we're not- We're, we're not, not them are we, no. <laughs> no. The journalists are having to work a bit harder, actually, yeah. to find ways of getting our attention. I find that fascinating yeah but it's almost like we've taken back some of the fashion power we've got this trickle up theory going on which we haven't seen in fashion for some time yeah which is very interesting yeah definitely and when
0: we're all wearing our fairy outfits to the park that will definitely cause some, <laughs> cause some rumblings <laughs>
1: <won't> it? <laughs> it, I find it's generally children and really and, and really quite old people that just stop and look and smile and say, oh, you've made my day. Yeah. Or, you know, a child will go, Mummy, Mummy, that, that lady's got gold Wellington boots on, hasn't she? Why can't I have gold Wellington boots? <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> and I'll pipe up with, you can. Just get Mummy to get some spray paint in B&Q and go home and do them. Spray, spray your red wellies gold. <laughs> <laughs> Oh fantastic I can't wait to
0: see all those out there that's brilliant so one of the things that we talked about as well and I think it's important as a kind of reset but it definitely was for me when we were speaking about the impact of fashion and fast fashion and Mm -hmm. some of the kind of negative association with that and and you you kind of gave me a new perspective on that in terms of saying well I think it's still important for young people to have access to clothing that allows them to kind of pick and choose and express themselves and so not all aspects of fashion are bad you know it's just kind of like how we interpret it and how we you know how we connect with that so can you could you just talk a bit
1: more around that yeah so I kind of as a teenager obviously I grew up before fast fashion was what it is today but you know we, we still had for instance a favorite brand of mine when I was 14 15 was Miss Selfridge It was a fast fashion brand in the same way that it is now. And I would go on a Saturday and I would buy something new to wear to a party on a Saturday night. But those items I didn't only wear once. Mm. I didn't think because someone had seen me in it, they they couldn't, you know, I didn't want to be seen in it again. And I've got one particular dress that I bought at my sister's 30th birthday party. Uh, I was 15, it was 1980. Every single event or anything I went to that summer, I wore that same dress for Miss Elfridge. <laughs> so it's not that fast fashion has changed. There's always been situations around the kind of idea that we've not paid for the skills in, in making cheap fashion. And there's always been ideas around the fact that perhaps the, the industry hasn't always taken care of people and hasn't given much thought to planning. These aren't new topics, but they've, they've gained a lot more traction. So let's take the same teenagers now, and they are perhaps buying from an online brand, they buy that item to wear for that party. And we've created this idea that once they've worn it and been seen in it, that's it. They don't they don't wear it again. That's the problem. But the <laughs> this idea that it's disposable, yeah, and that we get rid of something like a piece of clothing in the same way we discard a piece of a piece of packaging. Yeah. When actually it's far more important to us than us. So yes, of course, I completely acknowledge the issues in the industry where people are paid badly and treated badly. And we need to definitely focus on that and find ways of changing that in the industry. And also we need to make sure that we're not using resources that don't need to be used because there's so much out there already that we can reuse. But when it comes down to personally the way we relate to fast fashion i believe fashion should be egalitarian and it should be there for everybody to enjoy and to mm. reap the benefits from and i don't think we should necessarily vilify people who shop for instance in primark any more than we should people who have three thousand pounds to spend on an item I, I that that side of it that judgmental side of the way certainly the media looks at fashion really upsets
0: me. I agree, yeah. One of the pieces in your research paper talks about, it says the relationship to the outfit also reflected self-love. Looking after Mm -hmm. a garment was an extension of being good to oneself. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and I think there is a kind of tie-in with that, with the pressure that young people are perhaps under in social media and in, in media in general. And how they see themselves and then how they then how that's reflected in the way they treat the outfits that they have as well. You know, I think trying to encourage more care and attention on your garments as well as more care and attention for yourself is, you know, those things are tied in, aren't they?
1: I think, you know, that obviously we've we've got a a lot of on Instagram, this kind of self-care, self-love hashtag is a really big area. yeah. And sometimes that means really rather strange things. But if we do think of our clothes as being an extension of ourselves, and we think about the fact that often they're the most intimate things, you know, our clothes touch us. They, they're they part of our embodied being. And that intimacy and the way we we treat our clothes and the way we feel about wearing them, really does i think reflect the way we see ourselves i mean i know for instance during lockdown i had some really like everybody had some really deep dips where i just wasn't myself at all and i knew this was going to be a problem because my clothing mounted in my bedroom was just getting higher and higher i wasn't putting things i wasn't putting things away i was taking stuff off and just chucking it on the phone Yeah, I I hadn't
0: even thought about that. But yeah, I can see that. I lost
1: all interest in taking care of my clothes. Now, I I feel much better the last couple of weeks. And I, I have noticed that I've been hanging my clothes up. I've done some ironing. Yeah. I'm taking more care and attention. I'm feeling better about myself. And that's being reflected in how I treat my clothes. Wow. Yeah,
0: that, that rings so true with me, definitely. It goes through phases of the pile going up and down, definitely. Yeah. And, yeah, yeah no, that, that makes a lot of sense, a lot of and sense. it's it's
1: kind of a very simple thing, isn't it, that we don't yeah. really pay attention to. I mean, I know, for instance, my husband just thinks I'm lazy and slovenly. <laughs> but perhaps I was trying to actually signal to him that I was feeling quite sad.
0: Yeah, and we said about bringing it into the conscious. You're not always conscious that that's a thing. Mm. Although I am, I will now be aware of that, and <laughs> now Beauty Yeah, and you say cool. you'll
1: never not, you'll never not focus that again. <laughs> <laughs> I won't be able to go away with it now. Yeah. I know that is one of the problems. Once you start on this route to um, dressing mindfully and paying attention. You can't ever not pay attention. No, you can't hide from yourself, can you? Then it's... <laughs> Clothing can be quite a therapeutic tool, mm-hmm. both as we've met, talked about to change our mood, but also to tell stories about ourselves and to signal things. And I know with friends, you know, if they're not looking themselves, even if they're not really saying there's something going on, I, I pick up on that. And I'm sure lots of us do. Yeah, I think it's like you
0: say, it's so powerful. And when you start to become aware of it, I think it can be really, really helpful just for yourself and for, and mm. for others. If you have one favorite tip for anyone wanting to kind of use their clothing to change their mood, what, what would you say,
1: what would be your kind of go-to? So this is quite a scary idea, but actually it works quite well at the moment where we're, we're in our own spaces. One of the things that I think moves our relationship on with our clothes and ourselves is to not look when we get dressed. So I say to someone, open your wardrobe or go to your dress rail or go to your pile on the floor, whatever it happens to be and close your eyes. And this this is a bit, people are a bit like, "Hmm." and just feel either, either feel the fabrics or feel the clothes and just be drawn to an item without using your eyes use your senses. smell it touch it sense it wear that don't put it on and then look in the mirror and think oh no that doesn't look right just be with it just allow the way that item of clothing or that outfit it can be a number of things makes you feel mm. and pay attention to that mm. because often that brings up really strong emotions that we have no idea are lurking below the surface use our eyes to bypass all those other senses
0: yes and to filter i think as well like you like you say subconsciously filtering
1: aren't you and the minute we look in a mirror our expectations of who we should be are, are there facing us and if we can just avoid that mirror for a bit and actually sit with ourselves it's really powerful
0: stuff, and as you say, now now is a good time when we're not necessarily having yeah. to go out as much as well. So you can no one's going to see you all that at home.
1: I mean, who's going to see anyway. you? Maybe your kids, maybe, maybe your so partner. You. Yeah, yeah. But no one's going to judge you. And you know, we we have these preconceptions all the time about what we should wear, as I said, and what we shouldn't wear, and what goes with what. You know, let go of all that stuff. If necessary, say to yourself one day a week, okay, today is going to be my dressing up day and i'm not going to be who the world thinks i should be i'm just going to wear something for the pure joy of it yeah i call i call it flourishing fashion friday so that's what i do on a friday
0: fantastic fantastic and i love i love the stuff that you've been doing recently and you you do a photo shoot don't you every every other saturday and i love so i'll put a link to your instagram um, in the show notes as well so If people want to connect with you, Rebecca, we'll definitely do more because there's loads of other topics that I know I want to talk about, but
1: if people want to connect with you now, what's the best way to do that? Instagram is by far and large, the best way to connect with me. I love Instagram. It's the only social media platform I use at the moment. My DMs are always open. I'm always happy to chat. I might not get back to people instantly, but I will definitely follow it through and get back to you. So yeah. Yeah hop onto our Instagram and uh, come and have a chat and show me what you're wearing and tell me how your clothes make you feel. I mean, it, research is just what I love doing. I'm in the process of finishing up a book. And so any other ideas around feelings and clothing and emotion, you know, someone might come up with something that I just haven't thought about, which would be brilliant. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, because you're looking
0: at stories, aren't you? The stories that we have associated with, which we'll talk more about as well. I think that's a great topic. So thank you so much. I've I've absolutely loved it. And I do look forward to kind of exploring this more with you in the future. Anything else you want to leave the listeners with? I
1: would like to say to everyone, just try out, Just wake up tomorrow morning and just wear something just for the sake of it making you happy. Even if it's a pair of pink knickers, it doesn't matter. Just one thing. And just know all day that you've set that intention just to be happy with something that you're wearing. Brilliant.
0: Brilliant. I can't wait to hear the comments back from the experiments. That's great. What a privilege thing to live people with. Well, thank you so much, Rebecca. Thank you, darling. Amazing. And I'll leave some more details in the show notes for everybody. But that's it for this episode and more next time. Well, that's it for this episode. Thank you so much for listening. Check out the show notes in the description area of your podcast app and click to follow or subscribe. Or head over to mindful.com forward slash podcast, which is S-E-W-M-I-N-D-F-U-L dot com, where you can also sign up for an email reminder so that you don't miss out on any juicy episodes. If you listen on Apple Podcasts, then please help others find us by leaving a review, if you love this episode. And I'm always excited to find out what you got from the episode and how you plan to use the tips. And finally, if you have a question, feedback or a topic you'd like me to investigate... And you can also email me at hello at so much more fun.co.uk. So until next time, stay gorgeous and have so much more fun.